Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. It's good to be with you as we gather together on this 12th Sunday of our Minor Prophets series. Who's excited about that? Yes, the last one. Is that what you're clapping for, the last one? Is that why? Well, we have gathered to hear from God's word out of Malachi. But let's start here with this picture. Anyone recognize this Ohio structure? Anyone? Where is this? What is it? Anyone know? Perry's Monument. Yes. Oliver Hazard Perry's International Peace Memorial. That's the long name of it. Um, This is at none other than Putin Bay Island, South Bass Island, And this has special connection for me and my wife because this is where we were engaged in the summer of 1996, right at the foot of that monument. Now, when we go back, we go back probably once a summer just to kind of relive memories and talk about marriage and all of those wonderful things. But when I am there, I'm usually trying to find the locals, those who live on the island all year round. There's a lot of people there in the summertime. If you go across on the ferry, you can see all the golf carts and all the bicycles and all the people having a great time. But I'm looking for the people who are there during the long winters. And I'm asking them questions like, what's it like? Tell me, what's it like? And I've heard stories over the years about how in December there is that last ferry And from that moment, there are no more visitors to the island unless you fly in. But flying in and flying out is $45 one way, pretty steep. And so in that kind of winter time, they talk about stocking up all of their supplies for the winter. And on the island, there is no doctor, no pharmacist. There is no dentist. It is just the 200 people on the island And as they describe this, it's really like, it's fascinating. And at another level, it's weird. Like, how do you do this all winter long? And they talk about how they long for spring, when the fairies will run again and life returns to a little bit different pace. But in that wintertime, it is a, a different, different life. Now, it was kind of visiting this time. I was reading through Malachi, and I'm thinking about this different kind of life when you are anticipating something in the future. Kind of sounds like being a Christian, doesn't it? How we live life right here in the here and now is to be different. People might even look at your life and be like, you're a bit odd. Why do you do that? Strange. And we can say, well, we're looking forward to, not spring, but we're looking forward to a, that day. See, that's the conversation we want to have today, because Malachi is going to be all about this conversation. And here's the question we're going to wrestle with um, this morning. How does one live different right now in a broken, broken world that's not yet I mean, not yet. We're longing for that day. How do we live right here, right now, differently? You see, Malachi is going to help us 
and he's going to point us into different directions and conversations and areas of our lives. It's fascinating. This was written 2,500 years ago, yet the conversation we are going to have this morning is going to be like it was right now for today. So as you turn to Malachi, um, let me just uh, kind of update us on our our timeline here, and if you had the bookmark, you get to the point where we get into the very, very end. Now, this is the last minor prophet, and so there would be a time of silence until the time of Christ, about 500 years. And so as you can tell, as we're coming down the end here, uh, uh, there was Haggai, who was reminding people of God's presence with them. Uh, Zechariah was trying to get people to see, man, God has a, a story of repentance for your heart. And now we get into Malachi. How do we live different in this world that we live All right, let's open up to God's Word and see what he has to say for us. Chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Now, if you had a chance to read Malachi this past week, you see that there is this back and forth between Malachi, who is the mouthpiece of the Lord, and the people. And it's in this question and answer, back and forth, response. And we see one right here at the beginning. God says through Malachi, I have loved you. And then the people are asking with a tone of, when you read it, is it a tone of skepticism? Is it a a tone of unawareness? But they say this, well, how have you loved us? It's hard to know how they're asking. Well, how have you loved us? And then there is more response from God. And so this very first question sets the foundation for Malachi and how we understand the rest of the conversation that we are about to have. And so the foundation of all of this rests on this answer to the question, how have you loved us? God loves his people. And the answer rests in his, as you see here, his choosing. Some call this his election, the election of his people. Now, election is a theological term. And many times when we have theological terms and questions, I turn to a resource uh, from a professor who wrote a book called Systematic Theology. And uh, Wayne Groom is his name. He has a great definition. But this is what's going on here in Malachi. Um, This is the definition of election. It is an act of God before creation. Now think about that. Before the foundations of the world, before creation, in which God chooses some people to be saved, and it's not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Before the foundations of the world, he chose some people. That's what God's word says over and over again. And it says, I have loved Esau. And here it says, I have hated 
I have loved, I have loved Jacob. I have hated Esau. His hatred is not a, a raging anger. It's a turning towards and not turning towards another. And so what we see here is that it's not because of something he sees in the future. Like, oh, he looks into the future and he says, wow, look at John. Look how wonderful he is. I'm going to choose him. No, it's not based on that. It is because of his sovereign good pleasure. His love is based out of grace and mercy. How do you get to the bottom of that? all oh, that reasoning? The answer is this. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So election, what do we do with it? Well, this idea of his choosing is something to find comfort in. It is something to rest in. It should cause us to then even want to tell our story because who he elects and who he doesn't, we have no knowledge of. It should give us motivation for that. And so right here at the beginning of this Malachi sermon, I hit the pause button and I want to ask this question. What is your story of God's election, him extending his covenant to you? You see, he is sending a, a promise to you, a covenant. He wants to have a relationship with you, not based on what you did or, or your performance. No, 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 no. It's his sovereign grace is the basis of this. And he extends it to you. For me, he extended it through my parents at home. Uh, my parents talked about God. They talked about the gospel. They spoke of it often. We went to church. It was in their home that God chose to use that home for me to understand my need of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced he uses parents, he uses friends, he uses schools, he uses different circumstances, sometimes really hard things, to draw us into a relationship with him. What's your story? What is your story? How has he loved you? How did he choose you? My encouragement is for all of us to tell our story because even God uses the multiplication of our stories to use to draw other people into that kind of relationship with him. All right, so that is the foundation of what Malachi sets. God has a love for his covenant people, and he still does. But covenants and relationships have expectations. Because of this love, we then act differently. We live differently. Um, the greatest example of this is the wedding ceremony. How many of you went to a wedding this summer? Anyone go to a wedding? You guys were at a wedding. You got married this summer. All right. But I was at a wedding too. And uh, afterwards we were driving home and we're always asking the question like, how did you like, what was your favorite part of the wedding? People go to the DJ, uh, rating the DJ music. People are going to the food. How was the cake? Hors d'oeuvres. Me, I'm that guy who is going to talk about the vows. I'm that person. Like, what did I hear? What did you hear? Because in that moment, when you hear someone saying, Till death do us part, in sickness and in health, in whether we have a lot of money or whether we don't have anything, I promise I will be faithful. That's the part I want to start cheering for. 
I have to remind others that if you didn't have that moment of the wedding, you wouldn't have all the other parts. It is the, it is the centerpiece of weddings, the vow exchange, which is all about expectations. Because of our foundation of love, I will, you can expect me to be there in all of these hard moments and all of these great moments. I promise. Covenant expectations. And this is what Malachi is preaching to the people. They have a God who has entered into a covenant relationship with him, and now there are expectations. You are to live differently. And so now we're going to have four separate conversations. And this is going to be like rapid fire sermon time because each one of these conversations could be its own standalone sermon. I'm going to give all four of you, all four of these to you um, this morning. And so these are the four expectations that Malachi draws out that have some great overlap for our lives as well. Let's look at the first one. Chapter 1, picking up in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you... Uh, say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been by violence or lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. All right, the first expectation that God has for his covenant people, this covenant of love, is that we will be people of genuine and authentic worship. Worship. You see, in the original context, the people are coming, they're gathering, they're struggling to build the temple, this wall around the city, and it's not going well. If you read, as the video said, Ezra and Nehemiah, these are difficult moments. And they were getting to the point where they're like, what is the point? Why should we do this? Why should we care about worship? Oh, yeah, the Old Testament laws. Yeah, you have to bring an animal for sacrifice. Uh, let me check my flock. Uh, that one looks to be um, moving on in years. Let's sacrifice that one, the lame, the sick one. Yeah, it's, it's good enough. God's not going to care. And what Malachi is saying is that God cares about our worship he cares deeply. Even in another place of Malachi, he says, would you bring that same animal and present it to your governor for a meal? Like, hey, come on over. The governor is here. Let's bring out, our, uh, bring out that one. No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't have half-hearted things given to the governor. So why do you do half-hearted things for the Lord? All right, so that was the original conversation. Now we fly 2,500 years into our context, and we start asking the same question about our own worship. 
Because we are people who worship too. In our time in Romans, uh, a book ago, uh, the Apostle Paul defined worship for us as people who live in the New Testament after the times of Christ. I mean, remember, Paul said this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All parts of life are worship. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All of these things are worship. But let me also remind us that a very specific subset of this greater definition of worship is something that we do on Sunday mornings. In the book of Hebrews, it it talks about this idea Consider how uh, to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. Oh, let's see. I don't know. I was up late. I don't think I should go. I can't make it. I got a lot of other things happening. And let me just say, what we do in this space, in this very specific room, three times on Sunday is very unique. It is very special. God's people gathering together to hear from him, not me. You're hearing from him. You're singing songs that reflect, hopefully, your heart. This moment of corporate worship is huge. And maybe God is challenging you in this moment um, about your corporate worship habits. And so we're going to be asking questions along the way, four of them. Question one is this, is my worship different? That's the whole point. Are we doing things differently in the here and now? Not yet. Is my worship different, not wearying to the Lord as I meet with my brothers and sisters in Christ? See, for Malachi, it was wearying the Lord, doing it half-heartedly. Is my worship different? Do I come Prepared? Do I come anticipating to meet with the Lord? And maybe it's a, a wake-up call to, for those who may not be here. Maybe you're watching and you're thinking, you know what? I need to get back there. Or maybe it's for some who need to think about preparing in different ways. Maybe it's some who want to Bring children. I think our kids need to be there. Yeah, bring children here. This is an important part of the lifeblood of our church, corporate worship. Is my worship different? Do I make it a priority on Sundays to come and see and worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? All right. That's conversation one. We're going to have three more conversations. Number two is picking up in verse 13 of chapter two. This is how Malachi continues. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Uh, Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? 
And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. All right, so the second conversation. Remember, it's coming from a covenant of love. Conversation one was our love for God and worship. Now is a conversation about our love for our spouses. And in the original context, I mean, the people were like, does it really matter? I am not getting along with her anymore. Everybody else is getting divorced. Who cares? Surely God doesn't care. And Malachi says, no, hold on a second. Um, I do care. God cares. Some of your versions in Malachi 2, 16 says that God hates divorce. That's where that phrase comes from. Malachi 2, 16. God hates divorce. Why? Why is this so important to him? Why does it matter? Well, now... We come 2,500 years, and we really see the clear picture on this. After the, the time of the Gospels and the Apostle Paul into the New Testament, there is great argumentation of why marriage is so precious to God. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is what it says. This mystery, Paul says, the Apostle Paul, this mystery, talking about marriage, is profound and I am saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When you do marriage in a way that God intends, it brings glory to him. Brings glory to him when we do marriage correctly. And so here's a question, part two. Is my marriage covenant different, filled with Christ-honoring faithfulness to my spouse? You see, in Malachi, he uses the word faithless, faithless, faithless. Are we faithful to our spouse? As men, are we loving our wives more than we love ourselves, as Christ loved the church kind of love? Are we, are we going to that kind of extent? Because the world's going to look at that and be like, wow, that's different. Usually guys are in the back seat and they're buffoons. No, we lead well as men. That's what God has called us to. And so this is something that is different. Is your marriage covenant different? Because when it is, it's giving glory um, to God. All right, that's conversation number two. Again, rapid fire, worship, marriage. Number three, Malachi says this, verse 17 of chapter two. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, 
and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts living differently in the here and now. This third conversation, to live differently, is in the area of justice. Look what it says. For those who are the widow, the fatherless, those who have been thrust aside by society, those who have been neglected, do you have care and compassion and love for them? Don't ignore them. You see, with Malachi, in their time, it was like, oh, who cares about them? We're just trying to squeak out our own existence here. And what God says is this. When you keep just caring about yourself, you're missing how to be different. Care deeply about justice. Care deeply when people are disadvantaged. Care. Interact. Dive in. Be my witness. Live differently. So when people see you, they're like, why do you care about those people? Nobody else does. Let me tell you why. So a third question, question three. One, worship, two, marriage, three. Where in my life am I displaying justice that is different for the oppressed that I encounter? Where is it? Or am I too busy doing my own thing? Too busy to care about the fatherless and the widows and those who are disadvantaged. Spring is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. There is an expectation that God's people will be different. Riverwood, we have to be different. Right here in our own community. Be different. Have eyes to see more than just the things that you want. Conversation one, two, three. Here comes number four, rapid fire. Now we get into chapter three, verse six. Malachi continues. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. 
If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Conversation number four. Where do we live differently? We live differently with our Money. Our money. This relationship that we have with our money is deeply tied to our heart. Just like all these other conversations. Our worship, our marriage covenant, our covenant to those who are disadvantaged. And now Malachi drives in even to a deeper spot of how do you love money? And he says, you are robbing God. And the people ask, well, how are we robbing him? And Malachi reminds them, oh, you are robbing him? Because if you don't know this, he is the owner of everything that you have. And what he is asking out of obedience is for you to give a tenth of it to him. A tenth of what was grown, what was owned. And for the people in that time, they're like, does God really care? I mean, I'll just give a couple things here and there when it's convenient. It's a bad season. I'll just give a little bit less. It'll all work out. And what Malachi says is no. In the hard times, in the great times, be generous with your money. Be generous in your giving to him. And right here is where we get the, the idea of 10%, a tithe. What, is it, what would it look like to give 10% of what you make to God's kingdom and what he is doing? For the longest time, this was a real struggle for my family. One income, I know it's a little odd giving to the same place you work, but out of obedience. That was something God called us to. And there are a lot of moments having three kids, I'm thinking to myself, I could really use that for this and that. But I will tell you that God watched out for our family in ways that I never saw coming. He took care of us. And it's true. When he says, put me to the test, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will I will watch over you. I will take care of you. And he did for me. And he would do that for you as well. And so the fourth question that we get to is, do I handle my money differently? Do I trust him? And do I give generously? These are the four conversations These are the four expectations that come out of a a relationship with our God. He has expectations of how we are to live. And as you can tell, these are conversations that are very personal. They're conversations that are very current. And there are conversations we need to ponder at a deeper level. Where is the Lord speaking to you? about one of these, two of these, three or four, I don't know. But where is he speaking to you in your heart? 
For those who have a, a covenant with him, he wants us to be the salt of the earth. He wants us to be a light on a hill. If, if we look like the world, if you're getting along great in every area of your life with the world, that should be a warning. <laughs> At some level, we need to be the odd people on the island who are longing for spring. Are you? Do you? These are the things the Lord wants us to ponder. May he speak to all of us. I know he has to me. In the last verse, I just want to point out, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, Malachi says, Once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Distinction, distinction. You shall see the distinction between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. May we be those kinds of people. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we, um, we submit our lives to you. We come to you, and we know that it's hard in some of these conversations. It's very personal. There's deeper behind-the-scenes stories in every one of our lives. And whether it's our worship, our marriage, how we care for those who are disadvantaged, or even our money, you get to those personal places because in these personal places is where our heart is. And that is what you want more than anything else. You want your, the people that you have a covenant with, their hearts to follow after you. So help us to examine our hearts this morning. And may they be in places that will bring honor and glory to you in this broken world, in this not yet moment. May we be used for your kingdom. We pray this by the power of your son's name.